You are listening to the Crossroads Community Church Podcast. To learn more about CRCC, including worship times, visit us at crcconline.com. But today is one of those concepts that I think it's probably an extremely important day for several of you guys in this room. If you remember, we've been talking about this aspect of together, and I went through a few questions. I said there's going to be four questions we're going to try to answer. The first week, we talked about what does together mean? Like, like, what does that even mean? And you can go back to the podcast. The very first week, we talked about that. The second week, we talked about, you know, kind of what's my role in it? You know, what's my role in it? Last week, we talked about why is it important? And we talked about that concept. And then this last question that we're going to hit today, which to me is a culmination of the whole series Okay, so how do I have that? How can I get that? What, what, not just what my role is in it, not just what it means, not just why is it important, but now it's kind of this the application Sunday. We've heard three weeks about this togetherness, and hopefully it's done something in you and your spirit that you're saying, you know what, that makes sense. Yeah, that, that, that's biblically grounded. So now the question is, so, so how can I have that? If that all is true, then I want that. So Mickey, how can I have that? Well, we're going to answer that question today. We're going to answer that major question of how do you get it? How do you get it? How do you get togetherness? Because I don't know of anybody that goes into life that says, you know what? I really would just like to be by myself. Uh, But it's one of those things that, that as you go through this, how can you get it? Like that's key, right? I think sometimes in church, we talk about all these grandioso ideas. We talk about God. We talk about Christ. We talk about relationships. We talk about moving forward. And then we never talk about how, well, great, that's great. So how do I do that? Well, I want to do that today. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to end up in two different places. We're going to backtrack for just a minute to Romans chapter 15, which is something we talked about already because I need to make sure we define where the getting is coming from. But we're going to end up in Matthew chapter 7 here in just a minute. So when we talk about how do we get it, you need to understand there's one prayer that's been a part of my life ever since this pandemic has has come along. It's an old prayer. It's probably one of the prayers that's written out the most. It's probably one of the prayers that's talked about the most. It's probably one of these prayers that some of you may even have in a frame, have it on a keychain, have it somewhere in your life. It's a prayer that I think everybody has probably heard. And it's called the serenity prayer. Everybody remember that prayer? Lord, grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. You know, that's called the serenity prayer. And it's based on two different concepts. Number one, there is a concept that there are some things that you can't change, they're not in your authority. But then there are some things that you can control. And it says, give me the courage to change those things. And then I love the end of that prayer. And the wisdom to know the difference. That probably is where I, I can't speak for you, I'll speak for me. That's probably where I hang out the most. There's a lot of things I want to change. I get confused on the things I can control and the things I cannot control. The things I have authority over and the things I don't have authority over. So today, as we get into this, how do I get it, I want to remind you that the aspect of together is one of those things that you're not the one that grants it. For some reason, most people who breathe and are alive think that they are in control of the relationships in their life. 
And if you are so in control of those relationships, then I want to ask you one simple question. How did you meet the people that are in your life? How did you even get here? Very quickly, you realize there was some divine intervention, wasn't there? If you were married in this room, how did you meet your spouse? You see what I'm talking about? Here's the way it says in Romans. Going back, I think we covered this the first week. Romans chapter 15, verses 5 and 6. May the God of endurance and encouragement, listen to these words, grant you, grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus that together you may have one voice glorifying the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to understand that as we talk about together today and how you get it, I need you to understand that there is a part of this sermon that is hard for me to explain because I, I want to be very loving and you know, supportive and kind of move you forward, move us forward. But this is one of those areas you're not in charge of it. You're not the authority over your life when it comes to together. In fact, I'll go one step further. Some of you have pushed trying to create these relationships. And it's the reason why you have destructive relationships in your life. Because when you get involved sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes when you have this longing in your life to have relationships, to have this concept of together, and you feel lonely, you feel like, I need this, and you feel like it's not happening in your life, so you start pushing for it, you start making your own decisions, you stop following the spirit in your gut that says, mm, this may not be good for you, and you say, well, no, I'm going to do it anyway, because I want to have relationships, and next thing you know, you find yourself in destructive relationships, or relationships that are not very healthy for your life. Not raising your hand, but by your eyeballs looking at me, how many have experienced that? As people look at me and go, mm-hmm. See, I've said this before, and boy, this is just such encouragement, isn't it? See, one person's been a part of every terrible decision you've ever made. You. And so because of that, we have to understand that when we're pursuing godly things, when we're pursuing together, I'm not talking about just what you want. I'm talking about something that's greater that lasts forever. In fact, the aspect of together that I'm talking about is transcendent time. It's been there from the very beginning. In fact, I'll read you a scripture. It won't be on screen. But it's something that God's had the authority over from the very beginning. Maybe you've heard this scripture before. It was in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. It's where God looks at, at Adam, and he's talking to the angels, and he says these words. It is not good that the man should be alone. In that chapter, chapter 2 of Genesis, God gives him dominion over all the animals, the birds of the air and the beasts of the field and everything that's living and breathing and even over the fish. He does all these amazing things and he looks at Adam and he says, you know what, it's not, it's not good for him to be alone. And then he gives him an assignment, an assignment to go and to name every single thing. And Adam does that in the chapter and at the end of naming all the living creatures, it says, but he did not find fit someone that was like 
him. And so it said, and so God put a rest on him or put him to sleep and took a rib and out of his rib he made woman who was bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. And the two would become one. And for this reason, a man shall forsake his mother and father and shall cleave or cling to his wife. You hear that all the time at weddings. But what it really was is the institution that God did in the very, very beginning where God said, I will be the authority and create what together means. But you know, just because you don't have the authority over creating the together doesn't mean you don't have a role. Do you know that Adam in that concept, he had one major role. Adam was the sustainer of everything. Now I want you to think about that for a minute. Adam wasn't the authority of creating the together. God was creating that for him. In fact, it even predates Adam where God says, I'm going to make man in our image. Like God is, is communicating with the heavenly host, with all these angels. And he's saying, wow, and now we're going to make man in our image. And one of the things that God created in man was the aspect of wanting to be together. Why? Because that's why God was creating us. God created us because he wanted to be with us. See, this aspect of together is so much bigger. If there's something in you that always longs to be with people that build you up and move you forward, congratulations, you have that because you are like God. That's how God is. God did everything on his part to give you the ability to be together with him. It's why in the end we will dwell forever in heaven in his presence. What makes heaven so great? We get to be with God. What makes hell so bad? It's the absence of God. See, the, the most tormenting part of hell is not the burning. It's not all the things you think about, whatever movie you've seen or whatever book you've read. The horrible aspect of hell is the eternal concept in your soul that you will be by yourself forever. Because that's not how God created you. But you still have a role in this. It's the role of sustaining and it's important for me to get to all this. This is all just an introduction so I can get to God's word. But listen to this. Three things. Three things that Adam did. If you're taking notes, you may want to write these down. Three things that Adam did after God created everything. As the sustainer, there's three things that he did. Number one, he was in charge of using things properly. The proper use of things was a part of his role as a sustainer. He wasn't to abuse it. He wasn't to, to use it or leverage it just for his own benefit. Like there was all these things that he would, had dominion over, and God knew that Adam was going to do those things, and he was going to use those things properly. The second role that Adam had as being the sustainer is that he would be obedient to the authority over his life. Because he wasn't the creator he was the sustainer, meant that he had a submission to be obedient to the creator. That's one of the reasons why he would use things properly. Because he didn't have the ability to recreate it. But the last thing, and I think that's where a lot of us fall, is he also had not only the ability to use things properly, have an obedience to the creator and have dominion over it, but he also had a role of multiplying things. He had the ability to kind of 
to help things multiply and move forward and to help this world move forward and to help things move forward. And even him as a human person, one of the things that God said is don't eat of this tree and hey, be fruitful and multiply and cover the earth. See, that's one of the things that when we think, of, think about what God's calling you to do when it comes to together, I want you to know that he's expecting you to use relationships properly. He's expecting you to be obedient to God in the way that you use these relationships. And then he's expecting you to multiply the relationships. So it goes back to this original question. Kind of laid a foundation to make sure that we're on the same page. You're not the authority that creates this, but you are a sustainer of it. So the question of today is what? So how do I get it? Well, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 7. If you have your Bibles, be in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. If you are on an electronic device, your phone or an iPad or whatever, go there. You're going to highlight verse 7 through 11. In something that is probably one of the most quoted verses that I've seen in God's Word, but for the first time, and this is embarrassing to admit, I understood it for the very first time when it came to what it means to be together. Here's how I believe you get together. Are you ready? Verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? You know how you get together? You first of all realize you're not the one in charge of it. And because you're not the one in charge of it, you humble yourself and you ask the person that is in charge of it for it. See, this really hit me in a big way this week because we are in a season where we really start leveraging a lot of different resources and a lot of different talents and a lot of different abilities to help some people that have a need. Whether that be through food baskets, whether that be through gifts at Christmas, whether that be through mattresses. Like, like as a church, you don't know this, but you guys did some amazing stuff this last week. Like you guys provided a single lady of two children a brand new king mattress. It's the only thing she wanted. You said, well, I didn't know we did that. Well, you did. How'd you do it? Together. Because of what we do together. You guys helped some people with food boxes. You guys are helping the empty stocking fund already. You're meeting other people's needs together. But one of the aspects that's so cool when I was doing this is it made me realize that every person that had a need, in order for that need to be met, it started with the lack of pride and asking for help. In fact, I would tell you, most of us in this room have a need. And the reason why that need's not met is because we're too prideful to ask for help. Can I ask you a very personal question? Some of you don't want to admit that you're not okay. 
Like, I get it. Fake it till you make it, right? Like, you don't admit that, you know what, there's some things going on that's tough. You know, if I just, if I can make everybody think that everything's okay. I have these amazing things that are plastic that I keep in my wallet. That I can just, I can keep using these things. And I'll give the persona that we are better off than what we actually are. Or we'll get out and we'll, we'll fake it. But deep down inside, the reality, the truth, everything is not okay. And can I tell you the toughest part for me? God has already put in place in your life resources and people that can help you move to things being better, but they haven't leveraged their resources and influence for you yet because they don't know. You know the scripture, pride comes before the fall? That's not just talking about a haughty spirit. It's talking about a lack of humbleness. See, when it says ask, this first, listen to it, Ask, and it will be given to you. You know what the aspect of ask is there? If you have a paper copy, write it above. It's the aspect of humbleness. It's the aspect of submission. It's the aspect to go to somebody that has the authority and say, will you help me with this? See, the first step in getting together is you've got to humble yourself and ask God, say, God, I, I, I need some people. I just don't want everyday ordinary people, though I love them. But God, you know my needs. You know how you've created me. You know who I am. Lord, will you put some people in my life that'll make me better? Now, the irony of this is it's kind of like the the old joke where the guy was on the roof and the flood was coming and they kept sending all these people to rescue him. And he said, no, no, I've been praying. God's going to take care of me. And then he ends up dying from the flood. And he goes to God and he says, I thought you were going to provide for me. And God's like, I sent you two rescue boats and a helicopter. What else do you want me to do? Like some of you pray for relationships and then somebody calls you and says, hey, man, you want to get together and have a little fire? Hey, you want to go out and get something to eat? Hey, you want to come over and play cards? Hey, do you want to come with me to church? Hey, do you want to join me in a community group? Hey, do you want to go to a football game? Hey, and you're like, I know, no, 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 too busy, no, no, no. You know what? You're going to have to make a decision. If you're going to pray to God to provide certain things in your life, then you've got to make a commitment that when he does, you're going to follow through with the provision. See, it's one thing to be humble and ask, and then it's another thing to be more humble and receive it. The second thing he talks about is not just asking. There's an aspect of humbleness. But there's an aspect of seeking. He says, if you'll seek, you will find. See, the, the word that goes along with the seeking is it's, it's linked to a decision. See, not only do you have to humble yourself, but you also have to link to say, you know, I'm going to make a decision 
that I'm going to do something to pursue what I need in my life. Like God has created me. He's the author of the together. He's the author of relationships. He wants me to be in relationships with people. You've heard me say this many times from the stage. Your friends will determine the direction and quality of your life. And I want you to know that just because you found your special someone that you're going to be married to for the rest of your life doesn't mean that your circle of influence has stopped. In fact, I believe that God joins two people together not for you to stop having an influence, but to expand your influence. I know a lot of people that are like, man, I'm good, man. I got everything I need, man. I got an amazing wife. I got amazing kids. I got a place. Like, man, I'm good. Like, God has been so good to me. Listen to me. Do you really think he did that just for you to be good? Do you really think God said, you know, I'm going to pour out my blessings on this person just so he can be good? Like, woo, man, let me give you all this. So now you just hoard it for yourself. Or do you do it to expand and multiply your together? And then the last part is he says, knock. Knock and it will be open to you. The aspect of knock in the New Testament was actually a symbol of perseverance. If you were to think about it, if you were to go somewhere and you go to visit somebody and you knock on their door... Do you knock once? Like Thanksgiving's coming up. Now, some of you are like, no, I don't knock. I just walk in. Okay, it goes back to the story I had about, you know, just be careful there, okay? At my house, I tell people, you better give us at least two knocks. Why? Because that's how long it takes us to get across the living room towards the bedroom if we need to. But if you come to my house, you don't just go, well, nobody's home. I'm gone. What do you do? Boom! I mean, now you're ringing doorbells. You're hit. I mean, by the time you leave, it's like nobody is home. Listen to it. Write this word down. The aspect of knock is perseverance. It's the aspect. It's actually a verb that, that is present, active, indicative. In other words, you knock and you keep knocking and you never stop knocking. See, as you're seeking what God has for your life, it's not something that when you get it, you just stop. You keep seeking. When you knock, you keep knocking. You keep moving forward because God's got more. You say, well, Mickey, what makes you say he's got more? Well, listen to these next verses. This is one of about five times that in the New Testament that there's a much more argument that's presented. A much more argument is simply this. The writer of that New Testament that was inspired by God has said, you know what? If you can do blank, how much more would God do? It shows up in Matthew a couple of times. It shows up in the book of Luke a couple of times. But it's what's called the much more argument. Listen to what he says. I just want to read it right out of God's word. Or if he asked for, a, I'm sorry, or which one of you, if his son asked him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, here's the words, underline it, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? It's the, the much more argument. If we as humans who are lacking know how to give to people that we love, how much more will God give to you? You guys are in the brink of fixing to be in the Christmas season. 
Some of you have been leveraging your resources for about six months. I can remember as a child, Kmart having layaway. What was layaway? I ain't got it now, but hold this. I'm going to come by every week or every month, give you a little bit more. And the goal is, by Christmas, I've paid it off and I can actually take it home. Hold it for me until I can afford it. And my mom, lover, so amazing, would do everything she could to try to put a little bit more and put a little bit more and put a little bit more so that at Christmas, whoo, now we have these gifts. If us as humans will leverage our resources to provide for our children, how much more would God do that for you? Like, I want you to really... I want you to think about this. When you petition God and move into the concept of like, well, he's not going to do this for me, it's probably one of the most insulting things that you can do in your relationship with the Lord. Because he's up here going, I have everything. See, this is, this is the area that you have to be so careful, right? Right? This is the area that some people will leverage God's amazing more for their own benefit. And they start telling you, hey, ask for a Cadillac. Ask for a plane. Ask for, and God's up there going, no, no, if you seek me, you'll find me. And when you find me, you're going to be changed. And when you truly fall in love with me, I promise the greatest desire in your heart is not the vehicle that you drive or the plane that you want. The greatest desire in your heart is, wow, this is life-changing. I need more people to be a part of this together. I need to leverage my life to bring more people to you. I, Lord, what you're doing in my life, more people need this. I don't know of anybody that doesn't result in that. And so today, we kind of stand at a crossroads, don't we? Like the much more argument helps you with the reluctancy that you have. Like sometimes we're reluctant because we don't know what the other side of this commitment to God looks like. And the much more argument helps us to get rid of that reluctancy because we realize that, you know what, he's got this. But you still stand at amazing, amazing crossroads. You, you stand in a situation with one question that today you have to answer. The question for you may be, how do I get it? But I think the crossroads that you're standing in is a bigger question. The question that's in my mind that I want to get real serious with you for a minute is the question of authority. See, it goes back to what I said in the very beginning of the introduction. And right now you're going, great, you could have just went from the introduction to this one question and saved me 30 minutes and I could be eating lunch right now. Yeah, I could, but what's the fun in that? No, the question is simply this. Who's going to be Lord of your life? I didn't say Savior. I didn't say hope. 
I didn't say the birthing of an amazing, like all the things that we, I'm asking you a very particular word question. In fact, several weeks ago, if you remember, the number one word in God's word that's used most often is the word Lord. It's double any other word in God's word. It's over seven to 8,000 times. And see, the word Lord is an aspect of authority. See, I know a lot of you and even me sometimes. I'm all about Jesus when he's my Savior. Woohoo, man, Jesus is great. He's saving me from hell. He's saving me from my own self. He's saving me from addiction. Oh, he's an amazing Savior. But when we start talking about Lord, we go, wait a minute now. Whoa, I'm still the one in charge. And that's the reason why you're together so terrible. Because when you're in charge, I love you. But you jack stuff up. When you're in charge, that's when the poor decisions come along. When you're the ultimate authority in your life, think about the things you get into. Do I need to have a mic and say, hey, who wants to come and share what happened in their life when they were in charge? Well, that'd be fun, wouldn't it? It's like, see you later. I'm going to the Mexican restaurant. This is terrible. I'm not telling people all my baggage. I'm going to keep faking it that everything's okay. And I'm going to keep acting like I'm in charge. Listen to me. I love you. You ain't fooling me. I see it in your eyes. I see it in the words when we're talking when you're leaving. I read it in your text. I read it in your prayer request. It's probably the thing that consumes my life more than anything else. And just like God talks about the much more, I'm telling you the hardest thing as a pastor is when you want something more for somebody than they want for themselves. Is Christmas going to be a big deal around here? By golly, you better believe it. As long as this 200 plus pound pastor is in charge, it's going to be a really big deal. But not to the detriment of you. Like I can't run into the amazing Christmas season knowing everything that we're going to do. And I'm telling you, don't miss a Sunday. You miss a Sunday, it's going to be on you. I promise you. You're going to talk at the end of this Christmas season. You're going to have something that you will have for the rest of your life that will mean something more than most stuff that you do at Christmas. But that means nothing if it doesn't include you and God being Lord of your life. Like, guys, it's time. You know, we can run mattresses to to single ladies that need help. We can deliver food boxes. We can give children Christmas. And we can go, whoa, we love our community. Well, today, can I tell you something? I love you. And it's time for God to be Lord of your life. Quit playing around with it. 
He can't be just one little trophy on your case of all of your life of look at all these things God's provided for me. He's one of many things. He's like, take that crap down. Put me, I am the trophy of your life. I am the God. I am the Lord in authority. And when that happens, together comes into your life. You want to overcome addictions? You make God Lord. You want to have right relationships in your life? You make God Lord. You want to have an influence that's bigger than your life that you lead that outlives your life? You make God your Lord. You say, but Mickey, isn't there an aspect of him being Savior? Yes, that's the starting point. See, that's the part that most pastors don't talk about anymore. Jesus as your Savior is the door that you enter into lordship. But lordship is where you dwell. If you were encouraged by today's podcast and would like to experience other talks, visit us at crcconline.com.